Hi, I'm Jennifer Z, and welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy Podcast. Here's what you can expect from listening to Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy. My true passion is all about helping educate you, the listener, on food, fitness, and wellness. I educate through my own story and experiences on a multitude of topics, including inflammatory conditions, women's health, plant-based nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. It's designed to teach you how you can become your most powerful self every single day. From interviews with today's top health, fitness, wellness, and spiritual experts, this podcast is a fun and happy atmosphere. So sit back and enjoy some of the amazing interviews that I have with experts and people who have completely transformed their lives through plant-based nutrition, fitness, and wellness. And if you love this podcast and would love to see it grow with even more incredible episodes, you now have the opportunity to support the Jennifer Z podcast by visiting jenniferz.com forward slash podcast. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-Z-E-E.com forward slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. This helps me amp up the podcast finding more incredible guests while increasing the number of episodes being published. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. Hey guys, welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy Podcast. Today I have Fraser Bailey on, and he is just an incredible human being with a very unusual story. Fraser Bailey went from being a mentally ill butcher to a passionate vegan advocate, bodybuilder, and online strength and nutrition coach. In a struggle to overcome serious mental illness, including bipolar disorder, ADHD, a learning disability, and severe social anxiety, Fraser chose to walk away from the butchery industry for good. He never realized how health, fitness, and veganism would come together and transform his life in so many ways. Today, Fraser operates an online vegan health and fitness brand called Evolving Alpha with his wife, Lauren, which helps other vegans, curious non-vegans, and high-performing entrepreneurs get healthy, strong, and achieve a higher state of peak performance through a range of plant-based vegan nutrition programs and coaching options. Fraser and I sit down and talk about the evolving alpha and More specifically, we chat about what the alpha male used to look like and what he looks like today. We talk about why carbs are not the enemy, and we also do a little bit of a case study on the person who seems to be doing everything right, but still just can't lose that last 10 or 15 pounds. I can't wait to share this episode with you, so without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Fraser Bailey. Welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy Podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm grateful and honored to be here with you today. 
Fraser, you have a pretty incredible story. You went from being a butcher to (laughs) a passionate vegan, (laughs) and you also struggled with some pretty serious mental issues, including bipolar disorder, ADHD, and severe social anxiety. So maybe you can share how you overcame your mental illnesses, and how did you go from being a butcher to a vegan, a bodybuilder, and now an online strength and nutrition coach. How did you do all of that? Yeah, so it, the story goes way back into my early teens. You know, being 34 now, um, it's, you know, 20 years ago. And I, growing up, you know, in, in a family that was not, um, did not understand nutrition, you know, and it wasn't, I think that's just a lot of the generation that I'm from is that m- most of our parents did not really understand that food could act as medicine or food could act as um, a way to get someone healthy mentally as well. And so I grew up on just processed foods and I really think that had a huge impact on my mental health early on. Um, I suffered from really severe acne um, as a teenager. And so anyone who, who was a teenager who suffered through acne knows that it's an awful place to be because it really, yeah, yeah. It shapes your, it shapes who you are as a person because you, you literally do everything around that and it makes you so much more self-conscious and you, you essentially lose the person that you really are because you're so conscious about this, this external thing. And I didn't realize that, you know, it was, it was potentially all the processed foods, processed sugars, oils, dairy, all these things I was just consuming in copious amounts. I had no idea that that could have been it. And so not only was I really sort of distraught about how I looked compounded on that, you know, attention problems, most likely from a lot of the processed sugars and and foods I was consuming. So I wasn't doing well in school. So I sort of was led to believe just by my own logic that I was just not very smart. Like at the time, I genuinely thought that intelligence was this fixed trait and that people were either just smart or they weren't. And that if you were, if you were dumb, that you just had to just become just get a labor job, do something physical that didn't involve intelligent, too much intelligence. And so not, so I was struggling with ADHD thinking that I was not very good. And I left school young. Um, I left school when I was 15 and at the school that I was going to, that was out of the ordinary. Cause I was going to a private school. My dad had put a lot of money to try and get me to go to a good school. And I, and I struggled a lot. And you know, that, all that depression around how I looked and that was part of that social anxiety thing. I, I just thought, you know what, like, I'm not good at this. I'm just going to go and leave. And I was working in the butchery school. So that's kind of how I was making money just, you know, on the side outside of school, like just, you know, cause if I wanted clothes or if I wanted to do anything, my dad was like, well, you need to like work for it. Right. And so they just put me in the butchery. I didn't choose to be in there. So I fell into that from a young age. And because I was, I'd already been working there for what, a couple of years. I was like, well, I'm just going to quit school. And this is the job I'm already doing. I might as well just ask them for like full-time work. And so it wasn't calculated. It wasn't planned. There was no goal. There was no like aspirations to become a butcher. It was like, okay, what is the path of least resistance? The easiest thing to do was just to quit school and just to fall straight into full-time what I was already doing. 
Well, and, and because- to alleviate some of the stress too. Like, I mean, in some way you were protecting yourself because exactly you almost hide behind this. And also it didn't require, uh, at least I don't think so. Anyway, I don't know anything about the butcher industry, but it didn't really require much from you beyond no. what you were willing to give at the time. Yeah. Like that, I mean, that's really why I did it because I, or I knew that I was already like, okay in terms of my work ethic in the butchery. So I knew that that requirement was fulfilled and that that was the easiest route. Like I wouldn't be tested in a way that would kind of shine light on like the flaws in my character or intellect or anything like that. And I remember I started out just working full time and I, I, I was friends with the other apprentices. So the apprentice butchers in there and we got along well and they were, and they said to me, you know, you work hard. Why don't you, uh, you know, apply to do an apprenticeship and you could make, you know, twice as much money as what you're making now. And so for me back then when I was making seven or $9 an hour, I was like, wow, you know, like I could make 15 or $20 an hour. And this is New Zealand dollars. So it's, it's like right. the, the, the currency is way worse. I mean, it's probably about $12 US. And I was thinking to myself, wow, that would be amazing if I could do that. And it just so happened that the, the manager of the butchery was like, we, we have a spot opened up available. You can, you can take that. And, you know, really the, from there, it really things just went downhill because I felt like at least when I was at school, I was around people to some degree who cared about me. And some of them were, you know, ment- more mentally stable and kind of helped balance me in some ways. Mm. Whereas being in a butchery, which, te- you know, is a hyper-masculine environment laden with a lot of alcohol consumption and drug use and just really chauvinistic sort of behaviors. I felt like those types of mentors, and I use that term loosely, they were not congruent with optimal mental health. And a lot of them had that clearly when I look back now, a lot of them had massive mental problems. And at the time I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. And I fell into this world where not only was I around a lot of um, like death physically with dealing with dead animals all day, um, it's in a big giant chill cooler. So like you're just in this big closed environment with no, there's no windows, no outside light. It's cold. Everything smells. Um, there's bits of fat and blood everywhere. And so you can just imagine, even if the people were nice, being in that environment would probably take its toll eventually on some level. Oh yeah. And, even a but, subconscious level, even exactly. if you're not thinking about that yeah. at the time, whether you're vegan or not, I mean, especially if yeah. you're not vegan and you're still an omnivore, that still would have some sort of subconscious consequences to it. It, it did. And I mean, at the time I was not vegan. And so it, I, I can tell you now it absolutely had consequences. And then when I look back at the type of people that I was around, um, some of them, had you know been charged with domestic violence, um, alcohol consumption. There was times where I'd been punched in the face in the butchery in the back over just really minute disputes. Um, people, it was just such awkward behaviour. Like there was, there, for example, there was some butchers that put a the broomstick or the handle like the the handle of a broomstick across um, one of the students. The, he was wearing overalls. 
and they put it through his arm sleeve across his back and out his other arm sleeve and hung him up from, oh from, from a railing as a joke. And they thought it was hilarious. They were laughing because this kid was small and he was kind of like flailing around. And anyway, it came out and the parents found out and there was a whole big investigation. Well, one of those people who was involved in doing that ended up being promoted to the manager of that butchery later on after I'd left. So Unreal. it tells you that even within the system that people in managerial positions have ha- have a history of just doing awful things. And so I'm not saying that they're all like that, but mm. my, in my experience, there was a lot of that. And I felt so detached from the process like you see these animals come in and their their skin there's no there's no organs or anything there's no head and you just you you there's a detachment there you know there was we would have hundreds of lambs come through every day um in new zealand lamb is a big food that people eat um and so you you really i never looked at them as another sentient being that this was this was this was an animal that had the ability to think feel like our pet dogs or cats and that I think you would have to shut that off even if you did have an inkling of a feeling at the time you would definitely have to shut that side of you off yeah and I remember that I did because I remember when as part of the apprenticeship we had to go through um, slaughterhouses to see the whole process happen and I remember vividly um, some of those experiences and they were super graphic and it did not end peacefully and it did not appear humane it was very very violent Um, and so people fall on this sort of false sense that there's this thing of humane meat or humane slaughter and when you see it firsthand humane or peaceful or quick is the last thing that comes to my mind and I remember when I saw that I thought to myself something something unsettled me and the reason why i know that it did is because to this day i remember that moment graphically and my memory it wouldn't have burned itself into my consciousness if i wasn't traumatized in some way oh definitely so you know, you think of it like the, the they call them like these flashbulb memories, where yep. you, you can remember where you know where you were the day nine eleven happened and the twin towers collapsed, yes. or you can remember. So there, there's these events that are so um, emotionally provocative in our mind that it sears itself into our consciousness. And so for me, that 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 instance, that day, did that for me. And I look back now and I'm like, because I recognize that it was really disturbing and that it, there was something inherently very wrong with that process. But at the time, everyone else had such a, I guess, a benign reaction. I looked at the other people's faces, like, you know, some of the more senior butchers or the people working there, and they were so stone-faced and just the whole mentality of, well, this is just how it's done. This is the way it's done. They're growing for food. Um, it's just the way it is. And you kind of fall into that pattern of conditioning where if you get told those things enough, you just start to think that it's just inherently true. That's right. And so, and so for me being 16 years old, I just, who was I to question these things? You know, there's these like men 30, 40, 50 years old telling me that this, this, and this is the way that it has to be done. And who is a 16 year old to question that? Well, and also I think there was an element too of like, this was your only choice. This is what you were going to have to do. Yeah. 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 And so you have to, you have to deal with it. You have to shut it out. And I felt like that was just one instance of where I I shut it out and 
even dealing in the butchery, seeing firsthand the way that the, the processes by which food was handled, like, you know, there was countless times. People see online, you know, these videos of uh, uh, meat being opened up and there's abscesses and pus and tumors and things like that. And they think that, oh, it's just, it just happens in like Thailand or it just happens in Bangladesh. <laughs> you know, it happens in third world countries where there's no legislation and no food control. And I can tell you like New Zealand has, from what I know, more stringent food control than the U S and it would happen all the time there. I would cringe to think what happens in America where back in New Zealand, like I, I worked in one of the largest butcheries in the country. So we saw a lot of volume come through and I would be working on the bandsaw or I would be cutting and we would be hitting greeny gray abscesses all the time. And there was no hygiene protocol for any of these things. So like on the bandsaw, for example, you have this big metallic um, metal bench where there's a blade, a vertical blade that runs up and down. And we would hit tumors or cysts in these pork loins, for example, and that the, the pus would just go everywhere. And it wasn't like, okay, stop, um, decontaminate, sanitize the whole thing, everything has to stop. Yeah, it was like, it was like get a dirty rag, wipe off. Yeah. the pus um, cut off any pieces that are blatantly obvious that look completely discolored throw those in a rendering bin that will be used as pet food and then send the rest down to the meat packers who are the ones who are training the meat up where they can get a, a knife and scrape off the rest of the pus and discoloration and put it out in a nice little package wrapping with a happy cow sticker on it um, and sell it to consumers and people will say well um, they say they say well i don't eat you know i just eat like farm raised i just eat like xyz or humane and i saw we we had different levels of processing come through so we had some like organic some non um some grass-fed some non and it happened in all of them like it wasn't just oh i believe that yeah and and beyond that as an apprentice the first year or two you one of your main jobs is just to basically grind meat so you you're like a full-time meat grinder where you're just grinding beef for ground beef patties or you know ground beef or lamb or pork or whatever and that is really where the gross stuff happens where we would get um for example like beef ground beef at like 70 percent grade which is not very good might be on sale and so what we would do is we would get big cuts of beef that were more pure, but we would add lamb flaps and lamb fat to them and cartilage and all kinds of things. So people, oh, were, consum- people were consuming cartilage from lambs in their ground beef. And then we would, and in the pig ground, for example, there'd be like lymph nodes and off cuts and all kinds of things thrown in there. We would take old meat discolored that clip was obviously smelling bad and had, gone past this expiration date we would add that in with the new stuff in such a high volume that it would hide the discoloration and smell and so so people don't realize that of so much and that's why you get so much food poisoning from eating um, meat and stuff because people don't recognize that there's all kinds of bacteria and these old products and just really horrible things being added to them to increase. It's all about increasing the yield and the volume. So like if they can add 
they can throw the old stuff back in and they can throw offcuts that would normally just be taken for pet rendering back in and sell it to a consumer to make more money at the front end. They do that. And so I was a part of that all the time. And people will say, well, you know, is it just isolated to one butchery? Well, I worked in multiple different butcheries and that was a common theme. Mm. And so I know that this is trade secrets that a lot of people will deny. And even some butchers come out and say, you know, that didn't, doesn't happen in my butchery. And they're just saying it because they're invested, they're, you know, they have a job in the industry. Of course, they're not going to come out and say, Hey, you know, I do this as well. Um, it's only the whistleblowers who come out and say, you know what, like we saw some awful stuff and it's just, it's, it's so unethical. And so, I remember that I got to a point in my life where I'd been working in the butchery for about five years and every day, every week was miserable. I was, I was what I would deem like an alcoholic. I, it was a socially acceptable alcoholic where I would binge drink in the weekend and then I wouldn't drink during the week. And yeah. so no, and everyone did that. So like, it yeah. wasn't like, you know, everyone was just socially acceptable alcoholics basically. And I, got to a point where I was, I honestly had the epiphany one day. I was like, if I don't get out of this environment and change something, I'll probably end up committing suicide. It was like that severe where yeah. I literally was, had, I was having suicidal ideations about just not even wanting to live anymore because my life was so awful. Well, you had all forces leading, all these negative forces leading towards you. Yep. And it was, it was everything. It was already the pre-existing mental health issues. Yeah. It was, it was my poor diet that was probably exacerbating those things even more. Mm. It was being in this environment that's just full of like death and suffering, but then having other mentally ill, disturbed, deranged people in there too, that you feed off. It was like the perfect storm for right. just everything disintegrating. And I remember the day that I just had enough and I hadn't taken any um, vacation time. So I hadn't been paid out my vacation time or anything like that, that for that year. And it was still a bit of money that I was, I was meant to get if I didn't, if I clocked in those hours as, you know, and, and got compensated for them. But I remember the pain was so unbearable and I, I could not fathom handing in my resignation and working there for another two weeks knowing that everyone knew I was leaving because one of the common things in the butchery is that when they knew someone was leaving, they would basically ostracize them and they would make the final weeks of their employment there just awful. They oh, would I them, could see that. I mean, if they they're would, treating yeah. people who are working there or just it's, you know, yeah. Hey, by broomsticks. How do you think they're going to treat someone who doesn't want to be part of that anymore? Yeah. And so like I, you know, there'd been times where I've been punched in the face. Like I said, oh like spray, sprayed in the face with like a boiling hot hose before. Oh. Um, it was just all kinds of things. And I, sadly at the time, I never actually like reported any of these things because I felt like in my head, it was almost like that, um, that like domestic violence where, the, the victim is so afraid to like speak up because of re additional repercussions that would happen after. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything. And um, when I left, I didn't even like hand in my resignation. I, I literally dropped off my uniform. I, I, I finished my shift that mm -hmm. evening and I put my uniform on the desk and I left a note saying I'm resigning immediately. Um, and I left and that was the end of it. I never looked back. I left all, you know, I, I just, I left. How did you feel when you were walking out of there after that? I, I felt, I felt like nervous, but also like just the sense of relief. 
yeah. where I was nervous because I didn't have a plan. Like I was nervous because I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. Yeah. Um, but I just knew that I couldn't do that. But I, there was a sense of relief in the fact that I had got out of there. I finally broken that loop of like not wanting, you know, crying in the morning when my alarm would go off and knowing I had to go to work and then just going anyway, I'd finally broken that loop where I wouldn't have to go in. And um, so, yeah, from, from there, it was this sort of long road of healing where I ended up going back to college and, and studying. And, you know, one of the things that I want to put forward to your listeners is that it, people would think that, oh, after all of this, you know, you just had this dramatic recovery and everything was sunshine and rainbows from here on out. And the truth is, is that it wasn't like I, I got out of that and then I went back to study psychology and law. And the main reason why I look back now and the main reason why I went to do that was I felt like I'd failed my my dad when I went to school because he was so invested in us being like a students that I felt like I'd failed him when I was at school. And that if I went into some fancy degree, double degree that he would finally like, you know, be proud of me. Yeah. And, um, I, I, because, because it wasn't, I wasn't doing it for myself. I, I didn't really put in the work that I knew that I could have showed. And so I went back to school and I started just like, socializing too much you know going to the college bar and drinking and socializing and getting caught up in the wrong crowds outside of college and that's another whole journey in and of itself where then I was in crowds with people of people who were just doing really bad things like I mean I wasn't involved directly in it but like people I was friends with people who would like rob people's houses and um, mm. do all kinds of just burglaries and things all the time as their way of like supporting themselves. And I was in this world where I had gone from one toxic world to another. And um, it took a lot of time and a lot of healing to finally recognize that I was, I just, I was just migrating my, my addictions and my compulsions were, were just shape shifting. They weren't actually going away. They were just migrating from one form to the next and I think that a lot of people who fall into the fitness industry kind of don't realize that, that they, they go from being addicted to one thing to being addicted to fitness Absolutely. and they, and, and they get like a full blown fitness addiction or an eating addict, like a, a disorder within yeah. the fitness industry. And they don't, and they, they, they don't even see it themselves and they come from like, um, you know, an awful life before this and now it's more socially acceptable. So they don't see it. And so for me, it was like this long road of healing. I ended up, um, one of the things, the best things that I ever did in my life, and I do want to go back and do it again. It's just hard with the amount of travel that we do now is to see a really good therapist. And early on, I went to see this guy, his name's Frank Hayes, and he's um, this male therapist back in New Zealand. And I saw him for probably about four years. And he, his therapy changed my life. Um, I felt like it was a place where I could go and express myself. And I felt early on, I would feel way heavier after I talked through stuff with him. But after every time I'd leave, I felt like a weight had been lifted from my shoulders. And I, I'd grown so much through that transformation with him and then getting into more in health and fitness um, as well, that I made the decision that I wanted to start to wean myself off all my medications because I felt like, I was like, I don't even know who I am without these things because it's been so long since 
I've been just myself. And so with my doctor's sort of support and monitoring, I, I slowly sort of weaned myself off everything. I was on, I was on lithium carbonate and, and you know, um, clonazepam and yeah. I, I think, and um, Ritalin and all these different things. And I slowly weaned myself off all of it. And, and I felt so much better afterwards. And it's been, I would say probably 10, 10 years now since I've been on any medications. For oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And so, and I mean, I don't, I don't drink anymore. Um, it's not like I abstain from it, but I just have no, I've grown to the point where I have no desire to drink. Um, it doesn't, I don't feel any benefit personally from it. I feel like it makes me less of who I want to be. And it's just this whole journey where I, and I think that I share this with people and the, the, where veganism came into this is that when I came to the U S um, and cause I actually met my wife now Lauren through Facebook. Oh. And, yeah. And I was in New Zealand and she was here in Louisiana and we were talking for about a year. And then I was like, you know what? I'm I, like, we decided that I would just come here to visit because in my head I was like, I thought to myself, if I don't come here and just at least try to experience what it could be like meeting her, I'll always have regrets. I'll always wonder what if. Oh, definitely. And, and I don't, yeah. You know, and I don't want that what if to haunt me. And so I came here uh, as a personal trainer and nutritionist and, but I was not vegan. And then within the first year or two of us being together here, we just kind of grew so much together along the same path. We were both interested in spirituality and, and psychology and optimal health and how the body works regarding food and all these different things. And Lauren, it was funny, Lauren followed this guy on a YouTube called Dan McDonald. Yeah. And he does, he's like, a, he's a raw vegan and he does all these crazy juicing videos and he do, he's kind of goofy. <laughs> and he did, he did all these like goofy videos back in the day of him like dancing around while he's juicing and it's just hilarious. Amazing. But Lauren was kind of inspired by his just like free, like his free personality and how he felt so kind of light with the food that he was consuming. So mm -hmm. she started adding well she started removing things from her diet like she sort of first she went for what she called uh, flesh free where she removed any like meat products and then she removed you know dairy and eggs and then she removed any like things and ingredients labels that were smaller more minute things so right. gelatin yeah. all that stuff and i did it the other way where she had been reading this book to me called the world peace diet by Dr. Uh, Will Tuttle. It's, I, okay. It's, so I love Dr. Will Tuttle. He was on my uh, online so cool, right? summit. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And cause every week we would drive out to visit Lauren's grandmother and she lives about 30 minutes drive from where we do. Yeah. And so every week she would read about 30 minutes of this book to me. Amazing. And, and I just felt like more and more everything that Dr. Will Tuttle was saying was just so in alignment with how I wanted to feel. Yeah. And it, it was in alignment with what I was already believing. I just hadn't really consciously aligned my habits and to the, to those values. And I thought to myself, you know what, what, what harm is there in me trying this? Like I just, I, everything he said made complete sense. What have I got to lose? You know, I'm just, I should experience this. And I didn't have any other vegans to model. I didn't know any other vegans. We didn't know any other vegans. We'd seen some online, but we didn't have really anyone to model from. And I was like, I'm just going to like do this and figure it out. So I started adding in plant-based meals. So rather than removing things like Lauren did, I added in a lot of foods to crowd out those old foods. 
and I would replace things. So I would replace, you know, the, the chicken with quinoa, or I would replace um, the, the eggs with chickpeas. And I, just, and I was going through these different recipes and things to try and experiment. And I found that I've been doing this for like three weeks, and I got to the point where the only thing that I was consuming was a couple of eggs that we got them from the farmer's market after my workouts. And I was like, it's just, it's just a couple of eggs and I, and I removed them. And I remember the sense of like, is that it? Am I, am I like, am I done? Like, you know, <laughs> it felt so, it felt so effortless. You know, a lot of people talk about how hard it is and all this stuff. And I was like, it just felt so easy to me. But, but I think the reason why is because I was ready for change. You know, Absolutely. I was, I was finally ready to like actually take, accountability for what I was doing and change. Whereas I think when people struggle with it, they're just, they're too invested in what other people think. There's too many emotional attachments to like nostalgic foods. There's all these things that are blocking them. And I think that I just worked through those things, you know, and, and that's when I made the leap. And so years on now, um, I never look back. And even to this day, you know, I'm still growing. My diet's changed so much, but I use my story as a former butcher because the things I'd seen were like the ground meat and the pus and the abscesses and they would even do that with marinated barbecue steaks as well. Throw like old cuts in there, marinate them so they would hide the color and smell. But I never figured that day in the slaughterhouse, you know, with the cow that it looked like the bolt gun had ricocheted off her head because she was still completely, she was still completely conscious while she was being like dismembered. And I, that kind of haunted me. And I know that if people who consumed animal products had to see what I saw, they would really, really question what's happening. And oh, definitely a lot of people would. Yeah. And, you know, especially in a, in a day and age now where I sort of say to people, if we can be optimally healthy, and in fact, I would even argue more healthy on a fully plant-based diet than anything else, why would we choose the thing that's less healthy and contributes more suffering? Yeah, so, exactly. It's almost like a misogynistical way of thinking, you know, like why just yes. because you can. Yeah. Like, and that, that whole concept of, and then I sort of put forward to people, I'm like, well, don't you think that's like a childish way to think that just because you can doesn't mean that you should do something right. Mm-hmm. Like that's why we have laws and society because it ha- helps give people a bearing on how they should behave. Like there's lots of like, you know, I mean, there's lots of things I'm sure people would love to do. But um, because there's laws in place, it prevents those things from happening. And the sad, yeah. part, the sad part is, is because the system is, because the animal agriculture system is so heavily entangled in the political system, they're able to um, position themselves where laws actually fall in their favor. And so, that's right. That's, you know, and so, for example, like that, the ag gag, one of the, one of the things is a new thing called an ag gag law where, it prohibits anyone trespassing on a, in a slaughterhouse or in a factory farm or something and showing footage. Um, if they're trespassing, you can be tried on terrorism charges. Oh and my so, goodness. Yeah. So it's called an ad gag law where basically it's the animal agriculture's way of gagging um, what is happening in slaughterhouses and, and places like that, where, you know, it's a whole thing of like, you know, if, um, you know, why don't people, why don't kids take their school trips to slaughterhouses? You know, they go to farms where they see blueberries and yeah. strawberries. And well, what f- happened to freedom of speech and expression? Exactly. Well, that, that's, that's why. That's a human that, right. 
they have such a strong foothold in the political system alongside the food industry. And so because the animal that's agriculture right. industry is the food industry, they have, uh, they have a lot of power. And so that's why, you know, you see these videos come out and, the, and you think it's an isolated event, but it's not. And so for me, ultimately, you know, my, my reasons to change people said, you know, why did you go vegan? And I say for all the reasons, like why pick, what, yeah. why pick just one, you know, like for, because I wanted to, I wanted to challenge my lifetime of beliefs and habits around eating a certain way. And I, I knew that, and I, and I know that it has been healthier for me on all fronts. And, you know, from an ethical perspective, I know that it's, you know, your the whole goal with veganism is to just re reduce harm as much as possible. Like people will say, well, you know, you still might do this and that. And it's like the goal is to do the best that you can yes. with, the, with the knowledge that you have. And so, that's where I'm at now. I mean, you know, coming such a long way and I look back and even though I suffered a lot during those years when I was in the butchery, I feel like as cliche as it sounds, it was an inherent part of the process for me. And I had, and I did, and I did have to experience those things to, I feel like become the person I am today. So in a weird way, I am thankful for it. Like I wouldn't want to have to go through it again, but I'm grateful no, that I did, not. you know? So, yeah. So yeah. Well, that's an incredible, I mean, that's an incredible story. And some of those pieces, parts of your story resonate with me because, you know, when I go and, and share my story of, of what I went through when I was growing up, uh, it, I really do think back and I'm able to reflect. And I love that you brought up the therapist because I had a great therapist who was incredible. And she, she gave me the opportunity to actually look at my story and reflect on my story and, and realize that without that story as good or as bad as it was, I would never have gotten to where I am today. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. So there was once an idea surrounding the alpha male and what that looked like. And it sort of looked like that aggressive meat eating, take charge male. <laughs> However, this idea I think has changed and it's very different looking today. But how do you feel that this description of that alpha male has changed within, let's say in the last few years? It's funny because, you know, I almost used to fit that description. Um, being a former butcher, um, mm -hmm heavily t heavily tattooed and i i really did i guess fit that stereotype and one of the things that i realized when i went vegan was hmm you know it takes even more strength more mental strength and conviction to do something that maybe a minority is doing and to break away from traditions and culture um, based on your own moral bearing of what you feel is better and so from that perspective i was i was like you know what like it takes a lot of strength for men to go vegan because of that, I guess, conditioning that we come from as hunter and gatherers and that whole mentality of hunting and fishing is sort of like this male bonding session. And I definitely feel like I've noticed in the last few years, how more and more men from different walks of life, butchers, former hunters, former fishermen, um, people who you would sort of deem as stereotypical, masculine men are going vegan for a multitude of reasons and i like that because i feel like then it really starts to encompass a wider range of people into the the movement it's not just your stereotypical vegan now it's like literally that 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 model or that frame of thought is gone now i feel like there really is a representation across the board for like any type of vegan that you 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 can be so like it's definitely shifted a lot in the last few years
Absolutely. And especially I think in the bodybuilding community too, you see these vegan bodybuilders and, you know, it just debunks that myth that you need animal protein to build muscle. Yeah. And, you know, one of the cool things is that even within the vegan bodybuilding arena, there's so many different backgrounds that they come from. So for myself, coming from as a former butcher and someone who ate a lot of animal products, regrettably, um, there are other, there are other bodybuilders who I'm friends with, like Nimai Delgado, who's been vegetarian since birth. Um, Tori Washington, who's been vegetarian since birth, Carrie Kidd, who's been vegan since birth. So, and, and Jeff Palmer, uh, the CEO of clean machine, he's in his sixties. He's been vegan for 34 years. So, wow. yeah. So the cool thing is, is that, it's not like everyone who's a vegan bodybuilder now used to once eat a ton of meat. Some of them did. Like my friend Ryan Nelson was a former cattle rancher and hunter. Mm-hmm. And so some of us came from those backgrounds, whereas some of them came from vegetarian and vegan backgrounds. And so I think it's really cool that there's that commonality that's been able to bring us all together, even though in our former lives, we would have never probably like been connected. Oh, no kidding. So let's say that you have a person who's been building muscle on animal protein for years and years and years, and then they decide to go plant-based. What types of changes do you think that they'll notice within their body and their muscles, let's say at the beginning of that transition? Yeah. So the first thing, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I had a client who came to me uh, at the start of last year and he was a big guy, former bodybuilder. I think he won like a Mr. Denver competition. So he was, he was big. And he was really interested because he saw one of my T-shirts that I was wearing. And he was like, oh, dude, are you vegan? And I was like, yeah, man. And he's like, he's like man, I've thought about that so much. And he even asked, he like laughed. He's like, oh, man, you're going you're gonna to laugh at this. But I'm going to ask you the classic question of like, where do you get your protein? Because oh. he, he kind of <laughs> knew that it was a goofy question. But he was like seriously like just curious because – he recognized that there's probably other protein sources that he doesn't even know about, like tempeh, hempeh, different things like that. And I, so we started talking and I told him that the first thing that I usually encourage guys who come from a, a non-vegan diet over is first of all, make sure they consume enough total calories. Because very often what happens is whether they want like dramatic fat loss or they're just not necessarily diligent with their calorie tracking, a lot of those plant foods, as you know, are quite, you know, obviously higher in fiber content. So the volume of the food is larger. Sometimes the caloric values can be less. So inadvertently, sometimes they, they create quite a steep caloric drop for themselves. And like you probably know, like with any type of hard calorie deficit or like a sudden drop, you are going to feel um, biofeedback cues around like lethargy. You, you might feel tired. You, your strength might drop. You might not have as much stored muscle glycogen. And so like you can all of a sudden think, oh my goodness, I'm losing strength. I'm losing muscle. And really, you're just in like a steep calorie deficit. And so the first thing I say is, look, you need to be in a caloric surplus, even if it's just for the interim, to allow your body to kind of adapt to the portion sizes of food. And that way, it'll give you a good stability to work from so you're not going to be in that caloric deficit. And the other thing that I say to them is to just mainly honestly just focus on total calories first rather than macros like a lot of them will come in and they get really caught up in the whole macro thing they're like oh my goodness like my pro i have to hit one gram of protein per pound of body weight but i can't do it unless i'm doing all these protein shakes per day and all the seitan and mock plant-based meat alternatives like how do i eat cleaner but get enough protein and my whole thing is that first of all your protein requirements are probably over met 
And it's not to say that protein is not important. I think every macronutrient has its place, but I think most bodybuilders tend to just go like berserk on it. Mm -hmm. And and so basically what I tell them is, look, you have one alternative. You can either obviously add in seitan and plant-based meat alternatives and protein powders and things like that. But if you want even more optimal health, go like more of the whole food plant-based route. And what that means is you might have to adjust your macros a little bit. So like you might have to taper your total protein down, but your carbohydrates and your fat content may go up. And as long as you're hitting that total caloric volume that you want, you won't really see any adverse changes that like affect you negatively. And so I've, I've seen that firsthand with people I've guided and myself where now a lot of my protein sources are sort of like, a, a, like you know, like a combination of macronutrients. So like right. tempeh, tempeh, for example, is a little bit of carbohydrates, a little bit of fat. It's not, it's not just protein. And so obviously with that, comes a little bit of a protein drop from the total but i have not noticed any adverse effects with that and so what it's led me to to realize is that one most people's protein requirements are massively overmet and the second thing is i think that when you can get more micro and i I tell them this too i'm like look if you can get more micronutrient into your diet it's going to help you optimize your digestion it's going to help you optimize your recovery it's going to help you optimize your hormone function and those things will actually drive more muscle growth. And so I, I take it from a different av- avenue of if you can optimize the chemical systems in your body via like micronutrient density, it's going to help you build more muscle without necessarily go, having to go through the roof with protein. Absolutely. And I think what happens too is many people think that they need far more protein than they actually need. And what they do is they substitute for a high protein diet that has that's calorie dense rather than nutrient dense. And then when you make that transition to nutrient dense food and you're still thinking that you need to eat the same amount of food, that's when that's when a lot of people run into problems and their first target is well that's because i'm not getting enough protein yeah and you know when you think about it all animals that people eat eat plants they eat plant matter so like Mm -hmm. the amino acids that are found in plants then get synthesized through those bodies and regenerated in terms of building muscle in those animals so at the end of the day all the amino acids that the body needs actually originate in plants to begin with so like when i when i bring that up to people i'm like look on a chemical level if you were to dissolve down animal protein versus plant protein you're going to see all the different amino acids you need in some fashion now the incomplete protein thing like that's another thing that a lot of them bring up and i'm like like mm-hmm. all, all plants have all the amino acids they just don't necessarily have all the amino acids in the ideal ratios to trigger muscle protein synthesis but if you eat a reasonably diverse range of foods and you eat enough total calories, you're going to make that happen anyway. So it's not people definitely um, create a storm in a teacup, so to speak. They worry way too much. It's like they can't see the forest for the trees. They worry way too much about the details. They basically master in minor things. I, yes, I agree with that. They make a mountain out of a molehill. And, you know, a lot of people do talk about, well, plant, plant-based protein is an incomplete protein. And it's like, well, here's the thing. If you put two of those, what you're calling incomplete proteins together, now you have a complete protein and you can do that. (laughs) And you can do that within, you know, 24 to 48 hours. It doesn't even have to be within the same meal or the same 
day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that's a good thing because it just encourages nutrient diversity. You know, like one of the things that I think a lot of bodybuilders fall into the trap of is they eat so myopically, like their, their diet is very narrow. And so with a plant-based diet, it encourages you to eat more diverse. And so with that diversity comes a wider range of micro and macronutrients. And so I, I can only say that like, if you do that, you're going to optimize your health because you're getting all those other nutrients that you might be missing or falling short on if your diet's very narrow. Well, that's exactly right. And you know, some people who are like, well, what about B12? There are so many people who are on meat or who are eating meat yes. who are deficient in B12 as well. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the things and it comes back to also like gut health. So like if the person's, mm -hmm. if the person's gut is not in a good state, they're just not going to absorb a lot of things. I've seen blood work from non-vegans who were taking oral B12 supplements and they were still low in B12 because their gut was in such a bad state. So like, that's one of the things. And people don't realize that a lot of the animals that they consume are taking B12 shots because yes. they, they are so deficient with their food that they are literally injecting animals with B12 shots that way to keep them healthy. So it's definitely one of those things I say to people to just use, you know, like a sublingual B12 spray or something. It's just like an insurance policy. But even then, you look at a lot of like fortified foods, like a fortified tofu or fortified plant milk. A lot of those, and even like different protein powders, for example, a lot of those are fortified with B12 anyway. So you're getting it from multiple different angles. Yes. And I love that when you were talking about the plant-based diet, you were talking about diversity and having a yeah. variety of different foods. You know, sometimes, oftentimes I have clients who come to me and say, well, then I won't be able to eat this or that or this or that. <laughs> and I say, well, you're probably eating the exact same thing yeah. every week, every night, every week, you're eating the same thing. And then I look at the food journal and, it, and they, they are eating the same thing. And yeah. I said, if I could introduce you to 50 more meals, meal choices in one week. Does yeah. that sound like you're narrowing it down? And usually it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that you could eat all yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's one of the things that I think it's like opening Pandora's box. It's like when people come to, to veganism, plant-based eating, they don't, I don't think they realize half the foods that are even available to them because they've never taken the time to walk over to the, the plant-based section or even really investigate things outside of meat and dairy and eggs. And so like once they start doing that, it really makes them recognize that, oh my goodness, like not only can I eat a, a huge diverse range of foods, but I can pretty much use those foods to replicate many of the traditional meals that I've eaten yes. in the past. So you can obviously make like different pasta, like cheesy pasta dishes with a cashew-based cheese sauce, for example. So there's just so many different ways you can do things now. And that's what I love about the lifestyle is I actually find that it tends to make you more creative with your, your cooking and your nutrition, you know? Most definitely. Especially if, and you would know this too, and well, you will know this when, yeah. when your little one gets a little bigger, but <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, the beauty of that is your child will have only been introduced to vegan and plant-based food as opposed to having a, a kid that's, you know, say five or six, who's already been introduced to all the refined sugars and all the meat and the dairy and all that crap, and then having to revert back. So, you know, you definitely that's, have to get creative with, with that, yeah. with kids. 
that's what I, I'm really excited about is that with Zia, our daughter, she's nine months old and she's, uh. she, just, she just loves all the foods we eat. So she eats dates and she has green smoothies and she, my, my, my wife Lauren makes uh, an edamame avocado hummus. She oh eats, my gosh. She, she, eats, <laughs> she eats that. She eats chickpea miso. She eats like all kinds of just stuff that a lot of children I think would t- completely turn their noses up at. And we've had to work with clients before who their parents or that, you know, the, the clients wanted to go plant-based, but they had two or three kids who were sort of from the ages of four to 10 and they'd already been indoctrinated into eating, you know, more processed junk foods and, mm-hmm. and animal based products. And it was, it was really challenging for some of them because they couldn't find things that they would enjoy. But then obviously that's when you have to get creative and you can find like cleaner, healthier, you know, homemade vegan alternatives for a lot of the foods that typically aren't good for you. So it is a, it is a fun journey. I'm definitely excited and I'm grateful that we've learned this now so we can introduce it to these things from the get go. Oh, for sure. And I think in a lot of cases when they're dealing with children who are older, who they have to convert or transition to the plant-based lifestyle, they're dealing with food addiction at that point as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've noticed in general with most people. I mean, as you know, like that food addiction is really a huge barrier. It's probably the, the main reason why more people don't switch or don't stick with it because most people, if they do it right, I think they will experience some degree of optimal health at some point when, when they do it right. But I think the thing that throws them off the, off the track often is that emotional pull toward, towards like food nostalgia. You know, like I call it food, mm-hmm. nostalgia, food nostalgia where they've grown up with that like as kids or every Christmas their grandmother would make this thing or their, their mother made the perfect lasagna dish or whatever it was. And they have this emotional... Um, need for it and my whole thing that I I try and say to people is look like one recreate new traditions for yourself and your family like it doesn't just because it's not necessarily the same as it was doesn't necessarily mean it's worse in fact Mm -hmm. it could be better for you and better for everyone and you're creating new traditions that you can pass on to future generations that will then um, basically inherit that that better food choice culture and so a lot of people struggle with that. And, you know, obviously a lot of people will use food to kind of quell and suppress emotional traumas and challenges in their life. And so they might be trying to do a whole food plant-based diet and the stress hits and they just go buy a bunch of chocolate and, you know, dairy ice cream and stuff. And that's a whole psychological thing in and of itself. And, you know, that's really where they, I, I hope that people, when they come to veganism, they're able to work on themselves emotionally and spiritually as well. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it. I, I, I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, like I, I mean, I found that for me, the, the journey into veganism was almost a spiritual journey. And so mm-hmm. it, def, it definitely, I'll be the first to admit, like when I first went vegan, I ate more vegan donuts and I ate more processed foods because I was, one, I was just experimenting with everything, but two, I still felt this like pull to, to have that stuff because I, I, I felt like I needed it, like I just craved it. And as, yeah. I, as after our daughter was born and as I've got older, I've become more and more conscious about like how I want to eat healthier and cleaner and cleaner. And so like, I've definitely walked that spectrum of the emotional thing over time. And over time, it's definitely 
managed to, I've managed to heal so many of those things, you know, and it's, it's a really satisfying thing when you know you can overcome some of those challenges that normally would have kept you stuck. Oh, for sure. And for me, I find that I find myself explaining to clients that carbs aren't the enemy. So when, you know, for instance, I have about a 70%, my, if you look at my macros, carbs are about 70 or 80% of those macros. Yeah. So there, and there also is a difference. So when I have to explain to a client, you know, there's a difference between a complex carb and a simple carb, yeah. and it's the same as eating a plain baked potato over a loaded potato with cheese and bacon and all that <laughs> stuff on it. Like those are two very different things. So if, if there's anything to be a, uh, to fear or to think is the enemy, it's all the other stuff that you loaded onto that complex carb. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, that's like anything, right? Like you think of it like a salad, like mm-hmm. you, you can get a, a, a nice big fibrous salad. And if you drown it with oils and cheese and sour cream or whatever else, you're going to absolutely load up the total caloric volume or value of that, that meal. And, it's like you were saying, I don't think people will demonize carbohydrates. I think it's like you were saying, it's, it's all the things that come with those. And it's also a lot of processed carbohydrates too. People don't recognize that a piece of fruit or a sweet potato is vastly different than a, a, like a box of cereal or, you know, or, or, or a loaf of white bread. So it's like, yes, they both fall under sort of that carbohydrate realm, but it's very, they have very different responses in the body in terms of the hormonal and, and chemical effects they have. So I try and tell the same to people. And I'm also saying, look, you can consume those, um, clean carbohydrates. And as long as you're not over consuming portions and eating 10,000 calories of them, you're going to still be able to achieve fat loss with that stuff. And in fact, it's probably going to help fuel your performance more. And when, and it's so funny because when people, when people finally take that leap and they realize that you were right, they're like, Oh my goodness. Like I've been restricting for so long and I feel like I've missed out on part of my life. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. One yeah. of the, um, one of my, one of my former clients, her name's Danny Reardon and she was an IFBB pro and she came like second or third at Olympia. I think, three years ago and she right after that olympia last olympia competition she had she came to me because she she was like you know i want i've wanted to go vegan for a while but i've been so immersed in competing that i just felt like i couldn't do it she's like but i want to try and do it now and when i started to break down her meal plan for her and i got her to eat some berries and, and some strawberries and blueberries she almost broke down with the fact that she said you know what i feel so much better now with my diet but the sad part is is i've been competing for 14 years and i can't remember the last time i had a piece of fruit oh my goodness because (laughs) some of the bodybuilders it's pretty much just eggs and broccoli it's so it's so myopic and she was and she said i I just felt like i missed out on so much of my life because now the food is symbolic for the experiences she's like she says now i just wonder what else that i might have missed out on but I'm excited because at least I've realized and now I can experience all these different things that veganism is bringing to me. And I tell you, she's been vegan since and it, it was just such an amazing thing to see her go through that journey. Like you were saying with the carbohydrates and stuff and, and the big fear around that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know, you know, I've, I've spoken to a few vegan bodybuilders who were previously meat eaters. And even yeah. when I was, even when I was prepping for fitness competitions, um, I found like now 
I think that with the plant-based lifestyle, if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, then you're, first of all, I was prepping, I think, 12 weeks out. My prep time would probably be three weeks out. Yeah. The prep time, yeah. Yeah. So like I could, I probably do bikini right now. (laughs) Yeah. So so it's almost like, it's almost like you can maintain that, that almost peak conditioning much easier. Yeah. I th- yes, I found- and you can eat. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> I've I found that to be the case with myself. I, th- I found that to be the case with many people is that you, you definitely seem to stay within more of a striking distance. So, yes. if, for example, if you had a, a photo shoot or you, you did want to do a competition and you had you know, a couple of weeks notice, you, you'd be ready for it. Whereas before, like, there was just so much more work involved. And I've noticed that even with, with myself is that just living this lifestyle and just eating intuitively like I do, I'm able to stay reasonably lean and, and within that striking distance if I ever needed to do anything. And I, I enjoy that because I feel like that is sustainable. That's ultimately, to me, what I feel what's more important than just being really, really conditioned for a day is I feel like if you can sustain a majority of that and it's healthy and it doesn't affect your hormone systems and it doesn't affect your psychology, yes. I, think it's, I think it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I mean, and then you don't have to worry about the off season. No, not, not at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's do a little case study, a quick case study here. Sure. So let's say we have a female. She's been plant-based for about over three years. She's eating yep. tons of greens, beans, fruits, a small amount of fat. She's into weightlifting. She does high interval or high intensity interval training, a little bit of yoga, and she's struggling mm-hmm. to lose that last 15 pounds. She's built a lot of lean muscle, but has around 30% body fat and just yeah. can't seem to lose it. And yeah. I find with these cases, for me, I like to investigate a little, a little bit further into things like an underactive stomach due to inadequate yeah. chewing of the food, food allergies. <laughs> yeah. I want to look at the, jur- the food journals and see what's really going on. But let's say hypothetically, um, with a case like this, how, what jumps out to you when someone seems to be doing all the right things, but is yeah. still tr- struggling to lose that, let's yeah. say that 15 pounds? So, yeah. So it definitely comes down, like, like you said, there's, there's some factors there in terms of um, digestive issues or hormone profiles. I think, first of all, I typically ask them if they've had any recent blood work done with, with their hormone profiles, just to mm-hmm. kind of get an overview of what's happening with their sex hormones and their thyroid and, and their cortisol and things like that. So obviously those, those things like an underactive you know, T3 level or if their um, hormone, like the estrogen to progesterone and things are not, not optimal, that can kind of be at least an inhibiting factor. And so if, we know that to be the case, then you can obviously try and troubleshoot it with different lifestyle adjustments and foods and things to help. What I typically will often say with these people is I will get them to track because what I find is that they'll, they'll be very good at tracking their food Monday to Friday. And then there's somewhere in the weekend, there's like a <laughs> breakdown. And, and it's, look, and I'm not, I don't want people to feel bad about like, Hey, like don't feel guilty. Like, yeah. Uh, what, like we're here to help rather than yeah. like try and, like spy on you and be like, okay, you went out and you ate a whole bunch of pizza and drank a whole bunch of wine and had some chocolate afterwards. And then you got back on plan the next day. But in that day you consumed all the good foods you were meant to eat and you ate a whole bunch of other stuff and you consumed like 1500 calories over your normal baseline. And then if you average out that spike in intake over the other six days, 
they're pretty much at maintenance calories. And so I found Correct. that I, yes. I found I found that like that is often a case for people. And the good thing about that is is that's something that's easy to fix. Like they're not broken. It's not their body's not broken. They're not under responsive. It's just that they're not being as diligent with their tracking. Another thing that I found is that a lot of people actually do quite intense tracking errors. So I've had people before when they would track things on chronometer or my fitness pal, and it would say one tablespoon of peanut butter, but their tablespoon would be like this heaping mound. <laughs> and, and it would literally be two or three of the tablespoons. And so they're logging yeah. it as, as 70 calories, but it's really 210. And right. so when they do that as an accumulation of those types of things, that really like, especially if they're not a big person to start with like this, this um, case study female, her, her metabolic needs, like her TMR and BMI may not be that high. And so 200 calories here and another 200 there could easily just put her in maintenance. Right. And so, so that is a big part of it as well. And one of the other things that I often would look at is how they're training. And so part of it comes down to, okay, like how have they been training? So you sort of said she's been doing some yoga, a little bit of high intensity stuff with some weight training. Mm-hmm. I would kind of observe how they're training because sometimes I found that it's very subjective. And I've noticed this with people when online they say, well, I'm pushing really, really hard. And then they come and do a, a session with me and they are so far from actually pushing as hard as they think you know what i mean so the way way that i either either they lack a lot of confidence and they really really underestimate their actual potential or they they're they've been previously injured and they're worried about getting injured so there's some kind of mental block there where they're just not pushing as hard as they need to be and then they're tracking that workout as a, a 500 calorie burn workout when really it was like 200 and so it's just this net net effect of overestimating their exertion, underestimating their caloric values. And it comes, and then obviously there's going to be cases that are a little bit more nuanced and detailed, like you were saying, where what's happening, like, are they, are they just like swallowing their food whole? So it's, they're basically never satiated and it's, it's messing up their digestion. And mm-hmm. do they have other hormonal blocks? Is their thyroid underactive? Is their estrogen too high? Is there other issues going on with their immune system? And so it can be more complicated sometimes, but I have found that when someone gets really accurate with their calorie tracking, but what it can work. But the thing that I've gone even further to do with people is that I don't even base it around calories anymore. I just base it around like cup measurements. So um, one cup of this, half a cup of that. And we literally will then tweak those cup measurements based on what's happening with their body at the end of that week. So if they're, if they're sort of blunting their progress and it's, nothing's changing, we might go from one cup of rice to three quarters of a cup. So we'll just kind of taper things gradually to see if we can stimulate a response that way. And then obviously try and adjust the training, see if we can get them to actually get to a better state of progressive overload. Can we shorten the rest periods a little bit? And adversely, sometimes they might need to lengthen the rest periods a little bit. So it really does come back to, I guess, nuanced things. I mean, what, what is your take on that? Like what, what things do you think you would focus on? I think that I would mostly focus on, like, first of all, I would focus on the digestive system and, and yeah. understanding their eating habits and also really investigating that food journal because yeah. for me, what a small amount of fat looks like 
and to another person, it could be very different. And like it's you were so saying, right? well, exactly. Like you yeah. were saying with, you know, their tablespoon of peanut butter could be about three normal, like yes. standard size tablespoons. And that can really jack it up too. Yeah. And also, yeah, when it comes down to hitting that maintenance point with on your weekends, you're, you're jacking up the calorie content or you're jacking up the fat. And then during the week you're maintaining, well, you know, that only works as well as you want it to work until you're not losing that 15 pounds. And then you're realizing yeah. like, oh, okay, well it's consistency too. So for yeah. me, for me, there are no cheat days. I eat the same type, not the same type of food, but all different types of plant-based food. But I yeah. eat the same way every single day. I love that. As opposed yeah. to eating Monday to Friday yeah. and then Saturday, Sunday, just, you know, eating a bunch Blowing of vegan donuts and just stuff like <laughs> that. So yeah. I stay away from it and I'm an extremist when it comes to all or nothing. So if, if I'm going to eat like that, it's a slippery slope. I'm going to eat like that. If I'm not, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to eat this way all week and all weekend. So I'm maintaining my uh, yeah. blood sugar balance as well. And that's not going all out of whack. And it's easier for my body too. And then I don't have to, to worry about those food addictions or that withdrawal yeah. or the come down on Monday morning when I feel like absolute crap. So, so for me, it's all, it's, it's eating the same way every single day. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that just comes in more of alignment with like self-love and the fact that you, you want to feel your body the right way and that you recognize that, Hey, if something is working here and I'm enjoying how I'm feeling, why not stick with what works rather than going back to some of those old habits and then having to recover from that digestively, emotionally, psychologically. And it's just, to me, that's just not worth it. And one of the last things I was going to say, a lot of people that they, again, when it comes to the food journal and, underestimating things they they'll, they'll use a lot of oil on their cooking so yes. they have they have the, the, the sprays mm -hmm. and the the marketing for those is almost like manipulation so it says it's zero calories as long as it's a quarter second burst and i'm thinking to myself <laughs> who uses a quarter second burst so really it's pure fat and people will hold it down for five or ten seconds so really they're getting 200 calories that they're not actually tracking because on the label it says zero calories because it's market manipulation to say okay how can we show something as zero calories oh let's just make it a quarter second burst and no and no one does that and so how do you even do that yeah and so it's real <laughs> yeah and so like i found that it's a lot of these little accumulations but i definitely agree with the idea like i've noticed even with having our daughter now we consciously eat much, much healthier all the time because we want to be that role model for her and we want her to see us eating those healthy foods. So she sees that as normal. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I mean, even with, it trickles down to, um, in, you know, in my life, I went plant-based for health reasons yeah. and I never really asked my husband to go plant-based. I didn't ask my stepkids to go plant-based, but I, unfortunately, not unfortunately. Yeah. Fortunately, I'm the sole yeah. cook in this house. So everyone is eating what I'm eating anyway, and they're loving it because yeah. I make different things every night. And, you know, when back to when that. you were saying, when you were talking about there's ways to incorporate the alternatives. So, you know, you can, you can make a plant-based version of scrambled eggs because you can do scrambled tofu and stuff like that. Yeah. So they're not really missing out on much. And 
it, I can really tell when my husband does go off the plant-based diet, like say we're in a restaurant and he orders something else, he feels it and he feels it for days. So just having that reassurance that, okay, you know, I'm going to feel, I know what I'm going to feel like when I wake up. I used to wake up feeling exhausted, but now I wake up, I have full energy. I feel good. My moods are balanced. And I don't have to worry about that brain fog that follows you around on a non-plant-based diet. Yeah. And, you know, I I tell people to lead with exactly that frame of thought. So I say to them, you know, when you're making decisions about what you're going to eat right now, think about how you want to feel tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and I say lead from that place rather than thinking about how you're going to feel in this moment. Like what does my emotional compulsions, uh, what are they pulling me to do in this moment? Try to override that initial reaction and think to yourself, you know, how do I want to feel tomorrow in terms of not just like less, I guess, guilt or shame that lingers around that, but in terms of like your digestion, in terms of your energy levels, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's really clear when someone's been eating healthy and then all of a sudden they, they change it up because their digestion changes, their energy drops, then they don't sleep as well. And so for me, leading from that place of how do I want to feel tomorrow or after I've had this meal, it's a good sort of bearing and a compass to kind of keep people in the right direction, just making more conscious choices about not necessarily gravitating towards what's easy, but gravitating towards what's optimal. I love that advice. And yeah. also what you're doing too is you're you're looking more into the long-term effects as well as exactly. opposed to that short-term high that you get when you eat a bunch of refined sugars or exactly. whatever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> final, final question for you, Fraser. If you could go back in time and talk to young Fraser about mm-hmm. redefining what it means to be an alpha male, what would you tell young Fraser? Oh, man. I would, <laughs> I, I would, I would definitely say that I have, you have all the, the traits in you to be a leader and you have all the traits in you to be uh, a, a strong person, but because you feel like you have to fit in with what is currently accepted as normal, you're going to deviate from that. And that deviation is going to really set you off down a path of struggle and, and at the same time, self-discovery. It's almost like you're going to have to, <laughs> proverbially sail around the world and see all these different things and go through all these different challenges to come back to that home country and realize that that is who you should have been from the beginning. And so I try to leave from that place of thinking that everyone has the building blocks within them to be the best version of themselves. They just need to let go of so much of the I can'ts and or I could never do that or I'm, I'm not this type of person, I'm not a morning person, I'm not a public speaker, I'm not confident, I'm not a gym person, I love cheese too much, I love this too much. As long as you say those things, you will be those things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, I'll try and remind myself that, look, like you can either cling to your mental health issues and you can cling to those negative habits you have with this rationale of this is just who I am and I can't change that. Or you can have a growth mindset and choose to recognize that you can change any of it if you apply yourself and you take positive lessons from any seemingly negative experience that you have. And so that's really what I would say. There's so much more that I would say, but like if I had to be generalized, that's really what I would say. Oh, that's amazing. And you're a prime example of that. Of, Thank you. Of growing and, and, and changing. 
Thank you. Yeah, I mean, definitely coming from the the history I had with severe mental health issues, bipolar disorder, severe social anxiety, ADHD, yeah. and 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 being a butcher and all these different things, like that self work, that sort of cultivation of self love and things like that. It, it's always a work in progress. Like I still feel like I have a long way to go, but at the same time, I feel like I've come a long way too. And I I like to see that in other people. Like I want other people to to recognize that there's nothing unique about what I've done or me. It's something that I think anyone can achieve. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm going to post your website link in the show notes so that people can learn more about your story as well. Thank you very much. It was fun. The best way to spread the word about the amazing benefits of healthy living through plant-based food, fitness, and wellness is to share it with your friends and family. You can do this in person or through the various social media platforms out there. I'm so thankful for each and every like, share, and comment. And if you're looking for more food, fitness, and wellness inspos, please visit the JenniferZ.com website. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. And until next time, stay happy, healthy, and plant-based.